Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. I want to welcome you to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today we are speaking with Guy Bloom. Guy is a fellow Brit, so always excited to be able to speak with a fellow Englishman. Guy is an award-winning team effectiveness. He's an executive coach. He's involved in leadership development. He's also an author and a fellow podcast host. How are you, sir? Good day. I am very well. We've already got the giggles, which is hilarious. But that's absolutely as it should be. But great to be here. And thanks for uh, welcoming me on. Absolutely. And and you know what, Guy, it can be our secret as to why we've already got the, why we've already got the giggles. I'll take it to my grave. <laughs> Guy, it's good to have you. And uh, when I was looking over the work that you do, and I always like to spend a bit of time kind of just doing a bit of research on, on my guests so that I can really get the best out of you so that is most effective for for the listener because as you know being a fellow podcast host it's not about you it's not about me it's about the listener and that goes I guess with anything in business it's always about the end consumer um with that in mind I would love the opportunity just to kind of go on a journey with you today especially around all things like leadership uh things that I think we both have a, a commonality uh, with so I guess my first question guy for you is how do you help people lead without the need for personal power? Because often we see people, especially in government, just because they are the prime minister, it doesn't always mean that they are credible or that they're good at what they do. Um, and that's just a, a great example of how somebody has a title but doesn't necessarily lead effectively. So how do we do that? I mean, that's a great starter question. Um, you know, that... One of those questions that often gets asked in terms of development is what level of power do you need to get people to do what you need them to do, which is indicating would people do it if you weren't in charge? So there is something about that. And I think the starting point for me is a strong sense for an individual about how they define themselves. And that's the starting point. There's a great quote that is, it's hard to lead a cavalry charge if you think you look funny on a horse. And <laughs> I love that. I've got it on a poster. I put it up when I do workshops because actually that's one of the biggest things for people. You've got to define yourself as a leader. And if you define yourself as a leader, you'll work at being a leader. If you don't believe you are one or you see it as a title, but really you're just there to manage things, then you won't work on the craft. You've got to be invested in it. So you've got to see yourself as one. You've got to see it as a craft. And you've got to see it as a, I would not actually say it as a as an add-on, but as a, as a balance, the yin to the yang. You will not ultimately get things done without other people helping you or enabling you or facilitating you or whatever that that is and in terms of you know that great question how do you get people to lead from a position that doesn't require power it's really around this concept of followership 
It's when people look at you and see you as somebody that they want to engage with, somebody that they can trust, somebody that takes accountability, somebody that is brave enough to have the honest conversations with them. And the fourth one for me would be one, somebody that is connected to things outside of their own need. And that to me is, it's not even actually about being in a senior management role. It's about leader of self, which says, if I look at you and I can trust you, I think you're accountable. We can have honest and brave conversations and you have a care for me. Even if we're not friends, we have a, you have a care for me and, and, and I can, I can reciprocate that. Then actually I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to enable you. And that's going to take you a long way to be able to fulfill leadership without power because people are engaging with you. Therefore, you're not having to utilize your power other than in decision making or at moments of required authority. Mm. Well, there's a lot in there. Really good. Uh, I love the fact you said, you know, we've got to define ourselves first uh, as a leader. And then you impact some of that and went quite deep in terms of the fact that we need follow. We need to be you know what you said fellowship that we are wanting to be within within this role and that we are brave enough to be able to make decisions and you talked about you know caring for people as well which i think you know is a big part of leadership what would be your understanding of the difference between management and leadership because often we find that companies they have great managers which manage a process very good operationally but maybe do lack uh, that ability to care for yeah. others well, you know, this is one of the first things I do with it doesn't matter if it's talent or it doesn't matter if it's, if it's an executive, which is that clarity on what is it that you actually think you're doing. Now, without going through that process, for me, management is all the things you would expect it to be, probably in the sense of it is resource control. But the big thing about management is that it's hierarchical and it's positional. So you cannot manage something in an organization, generally speaking, unless you have a span of control over it. If you're looking after marketing and I'm looking after finance, I can't come into your area and start managing it. You can't come into mine. So we require authority to take things over. Now, leadership is something else. People will say, when I say, give me an example of what leadership is, somebody might say, well, actually, uh, I set the strategic direction for the organization. Uh, well, that's not leadership. That's just a very senior manager's job. Leadership is behavioral, and that then means it's not positional. It's open to everybody. So if I get people to list what good leadership is, it's ultimately going to come down to words like honesty, integrity, these kind of words. I want people to be authentic. I want them to be approachable. And all of those words, I just go, well, I've got a 10-year-old, which I do, Milo. And I go, what age do I need him, or can I expect him to start doing those things? And of course, the answer is, well, straight away. I go, right. And that's the point. As a manager, I can judge you by the job that you do. And I may not be able to judge it too well because I may or may not know exactly the details of your job. But when it comes to leadership, we we all know what good looks like. And it doesn't matter at the level that you're operating. We all know what integrity looks like. We all know what authenticity looks like. We, know, we all know what honesty looks like, et cetera. So it's not that everybody's a critic, it's that everybody knows. Mm -hmm. And here's the other thing as well that is to say that actually 
it doesn't matter what level you're operating at, to turn up with integrity, to turn up with courage, to turn up with bravery does not require, and this is the big thing, it doesn't require permission. So management does require permission because it's positional and leadership doesn't require permission because it's behavioral. Well, I love that. That's a great insight, Guy. Going back to your initial initial point that you said about defining, we've got to define ourselves as a leader. Do you find that some of your work is based on a scenario where people are placed in a position of leadership, but actually may not define themselves as a leader? Uh, and then how would you kind of like look to to bring that out? I think that can often happen. People can see that they they see themselves very often as somebody that has a task. Somebody has a set of outputs that they've got to achieve. And that very often becomes a safety area for them. Because if I step into the leadership space, then you're not just judging me for my output. You're judging me for the manner that I achieve that output. And very often in highly commercial environments, there is a tolerance that exists for high output that will very often allow behavior that is not at its best. And I don't mean ultimate bullying or something like that, which it usually does show itself out. But so when people end up in leadership roles, to define themselves as a leader for some people is a very, very big step mm. because actually it means I have to take on a set of behaviors that very often when I was younger, I looked up to those and I don't see myself necessarily as being somebody who would, who is of that level. Mm. So it's almost a rite of passage for some people. It's a sense of, I haven't earned it yet. And I liken it to, if anybody is a parent, you know, I often ask the room, who here would say that they're an awesome parent? Now, some people will, but others will go, I think I'm holding, I'm hanging on by my fingernails, guy. I go, oh, I'm about to be one. I go, well, listen, you know, as long as you care and you're trying your best, you're already going to be a good one. Because it's fundamentally, there's the process of it, and then there's the behavior around it. So one of the stepping stones is to get people to acknowledge that there's if there's a ladder of leadership capability, it, and we, let, we won't look at all that detail right now, you don't have to give yourself permission to consider yourself to be a leader until you're good. You just have to acknowledge you are one. So the moment you become, let's just say, a, a parent, that's a classic example, you don't have to acknowledge that you're a good one. The baby was only born an hour ago, but you do have to acknowledge you are one. Mm. And that's the first stepping stone, because once you acknowledge you are one, you can start to work at it. You can start to pay attention to it. So the, I believe the stepping stone isn't you've got to be great. You've just got to see yourself of one. And when you start to do that, the ball will start rolling. Yeah. It's about tapping into that care, isn't it? And that and that ownership of... Ownership. I'm responsible. Yeah. And I've got a, an example for that. Well, I'll just stick with the parenthood thing, but not everybody listed will be a parent, but you'll get the analogy. You, but or, or, or a friend. So if I say to... to if I said to you, uh, are, are you a parent? Um, or are, do you have a friend? Yeah, at least that most people... Yeah, I've got at least I'm one. I'm a parent. Friend. I've got a parent, right? And you've got a... If you haven't got a parent and you're listing, you've got a friend right? And if you haven't got any friends, then there's another podcast you probably need to be listening to. But there's one person in your life. But the point is, here, here I am on a podcast. Now, am I doing an act of parenting right now? An actual act of parenting? No. But do I still define myself as a parent? 
Yes. If I got taken to jail for a crime that I hadn't committed and was going to be locked away for 20 years, and it was a horrible lie that had been told about me, and my children rejected me through that lie, they may hate me, but I would still define myself as one. Yep. And that's what leadership is. It's not the role. It's the self-definition of if I'm on holiday, I'm still a leader. If I'm unemployed, I'm still a leader. If I take over a team that don't like me yet, I'm still a leader because it doesn't matter where I am or who I'm with. I have to define myself as one. Mm. Yes. It's not based on what you do, but it's based on who you are. It is based on self-definition and who you are. The The job you've got is the management role. Leadership is who you are. Love that. Love that guy. Now, when I think of leadership, I always think of culture. How do we learn to drive both culture and value? And when you say value, we're talking balancing those commercials with the people. Yeah, so it's profitability as well as people that you're kind of, yeah, obsessed with. And I think that is a constant battle. So working with organizations from large multinationals through to private um, equity-based organizations who are on three-year cycles, you have a whole different set of truths going on for people. The reality is most organizations have what I would call a timeline funnel, which is we are heading towards something. So for example, we've got a two-year project, right? We've got a three-year investment cycle. We've got a, it doesn't matter what it is. Normally we're heading towards something. And at the start, it can often seem quite, we've got plenty of time. And then as the funnel decreases towards D-Day, then people start to lose their marbles. <laughs> so it's not we're not going to talk about individual behavior, whether or not an individual does or doesn't care about people. But at a cultural level, the reality is it is very, very difficult to keep a focus on people when actually there are commercial imperatives driving things. And it is it is pointless to to say otherwise the thing actually i believe now you know i'm in my 50s now and i've been looking at this for a long long time i think the biggest problem comes when you try and create a nirvana state when you try and create a state i would i wouldn't say in the good times but when it's easy to do so that gives a sense of we don't make people resilient we don't make people anti-fragile we actually start to mollycoddle them a little bit there is a balance, just like, again, having a child. I want to love my child. I want to care for my child, but I don't want to make them so soft and afraid of the world that they're scared to go out. So actually, ping pong tables and you know, uh, cookie Fridays, they're all beautiful things, but actually they are not a replace. That, that is not culture. That's just what you're doing in your environment. If you want to balance commercials and people, you actually have to build a resilient, anti-fragile team of people and you have to nourish them and develop them and you have to care for them. But the, the trouble comes if you overbalance that, then actually you're doing them a disservice because when the tough times come, it shocks everybody. And then what can happen is when senior people start to turn the volume up on what is required, it can feel like bullying. It can feel as if, well, you know, where's all the fun gone? Well, guess what? What did you think was going to happen? Mm. So it's about finding a balance that you can actually maintain all the way through your commercial spectrum, as opposed to losing it when the tough times 
come because mm. then you've got to explain to people why it is and it feels like a justification rather than actually this is what we do here so i think that is to me a balance and it's not easy but about if you get that right then nobody's surprised that we're ready for this this is how we operate this is our normal frequency mm. yeah it reminds me like children grow up uh our, you know our businesses gr- grow up and it's it's it almost reminds me guy of you know give a man a fish you feed him for a day but teach a man to fish you'll feed him for a lifetime it is having that balance isn't it of knowing actually here's a fish but also say actually when i can't give you a fish because i've got other things that i need to focus on that you know how to go catch your own fish you know and, and teach somebody else Yeah. And I see organizations that get hijacked by the culture agenda. And, and I don't, and I mean by that, that they start to focus on making it so comfortable for people that in some respects, the belief is we'll make it so amazing here. People won't want to leave. Mm. Well, that's never worked. Or you end up in a scenario where actually people, almost like you see in the tech industries in California, et cetera, on these kind of places where it's gone so far that way, because it does gather momentum, reward becomes an expectation. And then get then you suddenly end up with an organization like Twitter, which rightly or wrongly, when Elon Musk comes in and gets rid of 80% of the workforce and everybody goes, it will fall over. I'm not saying you did it right, not saying you should have done it. That's not the point. But the point is it's working fine because there are a lot of people not doing a lot but actually what you need is a people a group of people as you say that are self-sufficient that are being nurtured and cared for and coached but they're not in a place you could almost say of comfort but there's some line between comfort and luxury and expectation Mm. that actually makes it more harmful for people when the tough times come Mm. yeah that makes sense i think with leadership, because I, I mean, I love self-leadership and they often say leadership starts with self, right? So a big part of that is being dedicated to change. To change. Mm-hmm. How, how do we become so committed to learning and dedicated to change in our own like leadership? In our own self. Yep. So there's a, a little algorithm by a gentleman called Reg Revan, who is the father of um, action learning. And he said, learning must be equal to or greater than the change that's going on around you. I love Mm, that. And I start there because I think when adults look at that, learning must be equal to or greater than the change that is going on around you. It becomes quite clear that the moment you stop learning and finding things to challenge yourself to learn on, you get left behind. People wonder, why am I being, why why are they bringing new people in and not giving me that role? Well, because you didn't learn something that they needed. Mm. Now, why is it that I'm not getting on with that person? What's happened? Well, you need to learn what's going on for them and maybe what's going on for you. I mean, Mm. every problem you've got is actually something, you know, I'm not fit. Well, then you need to learn what's going to work for you. There is literally no scenario that you can give me where I can't go, well, it's a learning issue. Mm. And what I counsel and offer is this mindset around falling in love with the craft, the craft of learning. Now, I'm not necessarily self-help, you know, be the best that you can be. We should all be, you know, I don't know, eating grass and running up mountains with six packs. That's That to me isn't probably real life. If you want to do it, crack on. It's a beautiful thing. 
But actually, it's about recognizing that if I'm paying attention, if I'm constantly curious, if I do not get into this fixed learning mindset, I can take on the world. And when I go into teams, I often say things like, anybody using TikTok? Nope. Okay. You don't have oh, people even now. I'm like, oh, TikTok. I go, yeah, but it's not what you think it is. And I'll show people what's on it. Chat GPT. I was with a group yesterday. Yeah. 15 senior managers. One of them had heard of it. One. I go, right. I put it on the screen. I said, ask me, let's ask it some questions. I said, what do you do? Well, I'm in procurement. Let's ask it to write. Something. I said, ask, what's, what are you trying to deal with at the moment? He said, well, I've got to write a letter to somebody. About so write me a letter to another procurement director. We wrote this thing out and chat GPT generated a letter. This guy nearly had a heart attack. <laughs> I was like, well, how's it doing that? I went, it's voodoo, mate. I don't know how it's doing it. <laughs> but the point is, I mean, intellectually, I know what it's doing. And then we went round the room and we asked every single person, ask it a question from your context. And people were like going, health and safety people, the IT guy, write me code for the, and people were literally losing their marbles, right? I go, but here's what, yeah? Learning, you're so focused. You're so operating in your own space. You're not looking outside of your own space to things that you may think are not interesting. But if you find out about them, you may find a way of bringing them in. So curiosity is not just a matter of self-reflection and once a, do you keep a journal. And I mean, those are all beautiful things. And if that's your process, that's your process. The most important thing is don't lose that childlike curiosity. Mm. and do not get to the point where actually and we often do this it is easier for me to operate in the world if i define a box i operate within it because i don't have to pay attention to all the noise i do get that it is just easier to focus but actually you can create a filter for well that's garbage that's garbage but that's interesting mm. so i think my answer to that is it's not stay curious kids it's not that but it is be curious and be look at the things and go, how can I utilize that? What can I do with it? We were talking about the Wrexham Football Club. And if you're not in the UK, there's a soccer club called Wrexham and Ryan Reynolds has in, invested in it. And, you know, but what are the lessons there to be learned from marketing? What are the lessons there to be learned from culture? What are the lessons there? I can take a whole load of lessons from that. And I'm not interested in football at all. And that's what it is. It's curiosity and it's transferability. How can I make that work for me or for somebody else? Mm, I love that. And Guy, you know, like when I think of like like leadership and, and being curious and actually asking like difficult questions and having the ability to to reflect uh, on, on one's understanding or maybe one's lack for me it's really about bravery isn't it what why why do you feel like bravery is like so crucial when it comes to leadership i think there's two types of bravery i think there's uh the act of bravery the, the mm. metaphorical dragon that needs slaying <laughs> which might be let's just take feedback i know how to give feedback i'm quite capable of giving feedback but that person very difficult to deal with they give me anxiety they make me anxious they've got the ear of somebody quite senior whatever that might be or they're a client or whatever it is oh i know what to do 
now I've got to go do it. And in my parlance, uh, I have a book called Living Brave Leadership, and I have this phrase, put your big pants on. There are just times. There's nothing else you can do. You know what to do. In fact, you're actually very skilled at it. You've been doing it for some time, but now you just got to go and put your big pants on and do it. Mm. So there's the act of bravery. We're not talk, talking, you know, running into burning buildings and saving children level, of, but it's an act of bravery. Mm. And then there's what I would class as, and I talk about this a lot, which is the the everyday bravery. And usually that everyday bravery is around the smaller things. It's the making time to pay attention. It's the making time to be interested in other people when quite frankly, you're not actually interested. It's the bravery to look at yourself and go, I actually would, I want to have that conversation with that individual, but I'm not sure how to do it. I'm going to have to learn how to have that conversation. But actually I'm in my thirties. I'm in my forties. I'm in my fifties. I could just, I'm quite senior. Do you know what? I'll just leave it. Well, and then people say to me things like, oh, we found our balance with each other. Oh, well, you, you've, you've learned to leave it alone because neither of you were brave enough to actually put some effort in to having, a, to having some curiosity and to actually sitting down and going, you and I aren't having the best of relationships, are we? No, we're not. Okay, should we do this differently? Yeah. So there's the act of bravery, but then there's the everyday bravery, the little conversations, the curiosities, the little nudges, the the little notes to self walking out of a meeting going, how did I do in there? Right. If I was going to give myself a rating out of 10. Yeah. Okay. Well done, me. All through to yikes that may not have been my finest hour right i'm going to go and sit and have a moment with myself and i'm going to give it some thought if i have to replay that how will i do it differently so the act of bravery is one thing but the everyday bravery is reflection and it's review and it's curiosity and it's challenging yourself to operate in a place of stretch so you don't require the discomfort because you're constantly nudging away at things mm. And that obviously had a big part on on your own uh, desire to build a community. You mentioned about your book about living brave leadership, and and actually it's it's more than a book. It's uh, like a movement and a community. What what was the driving force behind that guy? Why did you create this? Well, you know, I've, I've got a, a varied life. Of I've been doing martial arts all my life, and that that's a community, and that's a, a lot of things I learned from, from that as well. And as I've been working through these kind of uh, <clears throat> the, the years, the decades of being in leadership management development, having teams and uh, individuals who often say, who often used to say to me, thanks for the learning, thanks for the knowledge. But actually what I notice is there are other things that you allude to. There are other things that you nudge on that actually are very, very interesting. And that was just my experiences, my thoughts, my my points of reference. So I got to a position where I made a decision that it was relevant to, it's not that I'm having epiphanies, but it was obviously resonating with people. The points of reference, the, the experiences that I've had, the frames of reference that I thought I could bring in. So the book became a way of me offering, if you were going to look at the world, if you're going to look at yourself and say, if I was living brave, what would I do? If we were living brave, what would we do? So as a as an individual, as a team, or as a family, 
as a, as a partnership, you look at your other half and things aren't going well and you go, okay, so if we were going to live brave, what would we do? If I'm sat in the car and I'm having a bit of a moment because I'm anxious about something and I go, all right, okay, so what's the living brave version of myself here? If they were sat here, what would they, what, what would I look at and go, yep, that's the way to do it. And that, that comes from, you know, when I'm, been coaching people in the ring in the martial arts world you know people often know what to do then they see the other person on the other side of the ring and they go oh god and i go yeah i know right <laughs> they go so listen what's the living brave version of you yeah you know what to do this isn't a competency issue yeah so for me this is where these four cornerstones trust accountability bravery and connection came from if i'm going to be powerful in the world i need to be trustworthy if I'm going to have an impact on people, I need to be accountable. If I'm going to make a difference wherever I am, I need to be brave. And if people are going to feel comfortable and safe around me, I need to be connected to things outside of my own need. Mm -hmm. So that's what I need to do as an individual. And that's what we need to do as a team. And that's what we need to do as an organization. I, I won't go quite so far as to say as a society, because I don't think I've yet yet reached those Yoda-like levels of, uh, <laughs> that, that I could uh, espouse that. But that movement, is it a movement? I, I don't know. I, I think what it is, is that people gravitate to certain lighthouses and I think uh, I have a 10 year old and, a, and an eight and a half year old. And what do I want them to do? I want them to be trustworthy. I want them to be accountable. I want them to be brave. And I want to be, them to be connected to things outside of their own need as well. So actually, for me, it became, is it about leadership? Yeah, but it is about leadership of self. And then wherever you are, be it in a partnership with somebody else, a relationship, a social situation, a workspace, actually, you're not having to be different in any of those spaces. You just, you turn up there as a trustworthy person, fully accountable, brave enough to have the tough conversations and connected outside of your own need. And I think you'll go a long way. Mm. Amazing. Guy, is there anything burning that you kind of want to leave with us today? Something for us to maybe chew on, reflect on, uh, and let people know where they can find out more about, about you and, and your work. Yeah, well, you know, somebody sort of said to me the other day, little tip, little hack, uh, and hack's one of those words that I go, I don't know if it's a hack, but here's something I think people can definitely do. It's very, very simple. I think every week, everybody says to themselves, what have I got to do this week? And every day you go, what have I got to do today? And what have I got to do this morning? And what have I got to do this afternoon? And maybe even what have I got to do in this meeting? So I'm going to ask you and counsel you to add something to it. What have I got to be? So what have I got to do this week? Who have I got to be this week? What have I got to do today? Who have I got to be today? What have I got to do in this meeting? Who have I got to be in this meeting? Mm. And that becomes very, very powerful. I come home and I've been away for a few days and my little boy, he's going to run down the, you know, the path towards me. So what have I got to do? Get in the house you know, and say hi. Who have I got to be? I've got to be his dad. So if I say, can I just have a moment, son, before, I just, before you jump all over me? I'm, I'm not being his dad, right? I'm just doing the getting into the house. But if I actually pause and say, hey, so lovely to see you, it's not what I'm doing, it's who I'm being. So that, what have I got to, what have I got to do, but what have I got to be can make a massive, massive difference. So in order to check me out, <clears throat> the easiest thing is to go to livingbrave.com, which has everything you need to know about me and probably some things you don't, but it's all on there. What we do as an organization 
and, uh, and myself, which is around leadership development, team effectiveness, and one-to-one coaching. The books, the podcast, which is um, Leadership Bites, were well over, I think, 120-odd episodes now. Amazing guests, uh, which I won't list, but they're just absolutely fantastic, uh, from generals and professors and just, uh, just fantastic stuff. So uh, livingbrave.com, the podcast is Leadership um, leadership Bites, and, of course, just check me out on LinkedIn uh, if you're on there as well, Guy Bloom. So that's it. Amazing guy. I love that. What have I got to do today? And what have I got to be? It's It reminds me at the very start, you talked about output, which is obviously what have I got to do? And then what have I got to be is, is very much about, yeah, just having that, that sense of ownership and being intentional and stepping into who, who we are, obviously human being rather than human doing. Love that guy. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Mark Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast.